0: So an example, like some of the questions I ask people is, you know, I quickly get through the, the revenue updates, you know, and I totally respect it and I hear it. And the first few minutes is, is all about like performance. And then they say, okay, what, what else have you done to improve the performance of the business? Like, how have you how have you helped the team or the company become world class? And I think a lot of AEs struggle with that because they could have been in a company where they were just told to focus on sales.
1: Welcome to the Asia Growth Forecast by HubSpot, a podcast where we dissect successful sales strategies of fast-growing brands and show you how to grow your business in Asia.
2: We talk with sales leaders from brands like Neon, Aspire, VMware, and Asana to uncover the secret sauce behind their sales motion and understand what it takes to win the hearts and minds of buyers in this region.
1: I am Adarsh Norona.
2: And I am Romka Volkowiak and together we lead sales for HubSpot across Southeast Asia and India. We will be your host this season and now let's get into today's show. Hello everyone, welcome to Asia Growth Forecast. Today we are talking to Kevin Fitzgerald, who is the Managing Director of Asia at Employment Hero. For those of you who don't know, Employment Hero is an end-to-end HR, payroll and recruitment solution for businesses and they have been on an incredible growth trajectory. In fact, Very recently, they have announced a whopping $167 million fundraise, which brings their total funding to $411 million. They are now a unicorn value at $1.37 billion and continue to expand rapidly across the region. Welcome, Kevin. We are so excited to have you join today and huge congratulations on that massive fundraise.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. It's an incredibly exciting time for us and and our business and big fan of the show. So when I got the call up, I was like, yes, my go.
2: fantastic well we are really pleased and we are honored to have you here today as well well let's talk about you a little bit you have lived and worked across uk ireland australia and now asia as well you have had a really interesting and inspiring career trajectory starting your journey as an accountant and then making your way into tech sales at a number of well-known brands and today leading the entire asia region at employment hero tell us a little bit more about your career journey so far how you got where you are today and what does your role include
0: it's a big question i'll maybe frame it by saying it's taken 25 years to get here like it started back in dublin in 1999 where i grew up and now when i look back and, and look at the decisions that i that i made which there was plenty of risk involved in them it actually helped me get here to where i am today and it was quite unconventional what i did um hmm. and probably at the time people were saying hey kev what, what are you doing A lot of it, I really just had to back myself and and really actually make sure that I made it work and didn't leave it in anyone else's hands. The first example is growing up in Dublin, I wanted to be an accountant. It's in the family. You know, mum's a bookkeeper, granddad was a treasurer. And it was just something that I really respected, you know, in terms of the industry. And I saw what they were actually doing and achieving. I was thinking about how can I speed it up? You know, like it takes quite a long time to become an accountant. And thankfully in Ireland, uh, there is a quicker way to study. And that means you go to work full time and you go to university at nighttime and weekends. I probably call them my zombie years because I was working 9 to 5.30 as an accountant. And then university lectures started at 6 p.m. and and they went on till 10. That was three nights a week and then a full day on Saturday in lectures. So and then at the age of 23, I was a qualified accountant. That kind of put me ahead of everybody else, you know, in terms of where I was and in, in career in terms of opportunity. And I decided to go to the UK and I went to work for KPMG in Jersey in the Channel Islands, which is an offshore financial services center. And like for me, that was that was a real like big decision because I, I was leaving a job where I'd learned so much. I'd been there for five years. They treated me like incredibly well, taught me everything about accounting. Oh. And, and that's where my love for SMEs grew. I was working with SMEs all the time. I could see the pain that they have and sometimes they don't know what they don't know. And really been able to help them out and cover blind spots in terms of accounting and compliance was a, a big thing for me. I then went to the UK and yeah, it like started with KPMG and went into audit. I quickly realized that I did not want to do audit. Um, it just doesn't match my character, right? Like it's, it's just not who I am. And it was transformational because it helped me realize what I really wanted to do. Um, and I missed working with, with SMEs. I couldn't find a way to go back into like a smaller accounting practice. I thought that, that would actually be taking a step backwards and, and maybe impact my career in the future. So I stayed with KPMG for for just under a year and then I decided to take a year off. So I took a year sabbatical. I packed my bags with one of my best friends. We bought a round the world flight ticket. We went to 26 countries in 52 weeks. And- we Yeah, we, we traveled Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, South America. We only worked for one day in the, in the whole year. And that was, we were cast as extras in a movie in, in Thailand about the tsunami. Yeah. So I, I am, I am famous. Yeah. The big thing from that one was like, it taught me so much about the world and how it works and communication. And I went back to Dublin and I was broke, you know, I spent all the money I'd saved up and, you know, friends were starting to, you know, buy houses and they were progressing in that kind of stream of life. And I had no interest in it. I wanted to take on a challenge and go again. So I I actually joined an American bank in Dublin, uh, State Street, and I was working as a hedge fund financial accountant. Um, Very complex financial statements, daily reporting, learned to get again, learned a lot. Like I didn't even know what a hedge fund was before I joined. And I stayed there for four years. And that's when actually the the American uh, subprime crisis happened. Um, And there was a lot of redundancies, but I got the opportunity to help the business reshape things. And we started to offshore the work to Poland. So I was back and forth to Krakow quite a bit. And again, then that travel bug was hitting me. You know, I was really enjoying being there for a week and then back to Dublin for two or three weeks. And you know, I started to look at like where else in the world I could go. And it was clear to me, being a qualified accountant is a global passport. And, and what I mean by that yeah. is it's easy to get a visa in most countries, a work visa because you're a qualified accountant, yeah. you know, like there is a demand. It's a huge profession. I packed my bags and I went to Melbourne. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any friends there. I had no network, no job. And I was interviewing for accounting jobs and I was just like, oh, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And I spoke to the recruitment agency, Robert Walters, who were helping me find a job. And the manager there who actually became my manager said, hey, Kev, like you, you seem to like talking to people and you're pretty good at it and, you know, like really good listener." Why don't you come and work for us and be our specialist in our financial services recruitment team? And I was like, Wow, why would I give up accounting? Like so many people study for so long to gain that profession to pass your exams, which are really tough. But I looked at it and said, Well, what am I gonna learn here? Like, you know, I need a network, I need to learn sales skills, I need to put myself under pressure and and figure things out again. And I did it for three and a half years. And in year two I was top three sales rep in all of Australia. Congratulations. And yeah, Thank you. That was a phenomenal kind of experience because I didn't see a pathway where I could keep learning in recruitment. You know, like the job doesn't really change. Your network gets bigger. That's how you become more successful. I kept seeing advertisements for Xero, the, the cloud accounting software and being an accountant. There was, you know, I was like, what's this? And this wasn't around when I was doing the job, you know, like it was uh, it was very, very manual paperwork. I actually had a guy who was a competitor of mine in recruitment and he joined Zero to be their TA lead oh. and we had a good relationship. We were, we were frenemies in, in Australia. I pinged him and he said, Hey, actually we've got a, we've got a sales leadership role. Like, you know, maybe you should come in and have a chat. I met the current uh, managing director and he was kind of saying, Hey, we've been hiring ex accountants into Zero into our sales team and teaching them sales. But you are an ex-accountant and you have sales and you've led a sales team at Robert Walters. Like, why don't you come in and help us actually grow um, the business? And, you know, that was another big decision. And I I would like to point out to people, like, it wasn't that straightforward because each time that I moved country or moved job, I was taking a pretty big risk and I was taking pay cuts. I was going into new spaces. And that's probably the things that people don't see when they look at the LinkedIn profile or or hear the story. You know, there, there is a cost to all this stuff, but... Again, I was like, look, it's in my hands. Like I have to make it work. And I joined Zero at an incredibly opportune time. Like the business in Australia was just on fire. We went from 200,000 SMEs when I joined to 750,000 in two years in wow. Australia. It was probably not even truly a sales job. It was a keeping up with the pace <laughs> job. Yes. Like, you know, we were, we were coming into it. We were logging in in the morning, coming into the office and we'd already sold 20 subscriptions people were just signing up online left right and center. It was a really interesting job and you know I felt really settled in Australia. Um, I'd got an Australian passport, I'd bought an apartment off the plans that actually I've never even lived in. Um and then my my boss at the time said, "Hey, want to go to Asia and start zero there?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And I I was like, "When?" He's like, "Can you go in 2 weeks?" And I was like, "Okay, let's do it." So packed my bags. I had a car I had a motorbike, I had a dog. I was like, oh no, what what have I done? (laughs) But everything worked out, right? Like, and I came to Singapore and there there was already boots on ground here, four or five people. We had about 1,000 customers at the time in Asia that we picked up online. But by the time I left three years later, we took that from a 1,000 customers in Southeast Asia SMEs to over 100,000 in three years. So again, phenomenal growth. And, and it was hard. You know, people did not know who Zero was. I didn't really know how to sell in Asia, which I learned that pretty quickly in the first few weeks and months. And then again, another difficult choice. I was like, well, managing director of Zero now, great business. I absolutely love Xero. It changed my life. But I was coming up to seven years and I was like, oh no, here comes the itch. <laughs> what, what am I going to do next? Um, and I, I was looking around actually the Zero ecosystem at, at our API partners and payments was, was like obviously got a lot of attention in the last few years. And I, I felt like I knew it on a superficial basis. But I didn't know enough about the mechanics of it and, and actually how to make it work. So I joined Spenmo, raised it, the business had raised a ton of money. And sadly, look, that, that one just didn't work out. And it was actually this time last year. My now boss was in Singapore and we'd known each other a little bit. And he said, hey, can I grab you for an hour and just pick your brain on what you did with Zero the first couple of years? Because we've opened here, Employment Hero. Can you just lay it out for me what you did? And you know that coffee turned into a contract pretty quickly and it was amazing right like and i feel incredibly grateful to be here now so that's the story in a nutshell but Definitely had to take some risks and chances and move countries and all of that stuff.
2: And let's talk a little bit about that towards the topic of today, which is uh, really around career growth and sales and how sales leaders and professionals can future proof themselves. And I would love to dig a little bit further into that uh, with you just now. You mentioned you started your career in accounting and then you moved into recruitment, eventually into tech sales. And I think this is what a lot of our audience is going to be curious about. How did you make that switch? into sales, why you decided to go into sales? And then also, I think a little bit more as well, why did the company uh, who hired you decided at the time to kind of go with someone without very conventional sales background?
0: I think for people like the early part of your career, I find is it should be your testing zone. You should be trying to figure out like what you're actually good at rather than someone else telling you what you're good at. I'd really encourage anybody who's in that early stage, you know, and I think we are seeing it now, like especially millennials, right? Like every year or two, it's a different thing. And I think brilliant, like why not try things? Mm -hmm. But the decision then to, to leave accounting was a big one because there was such a big investment of time by me into it. I don't think there's many people who would do that and give it up because they'd feel of like the sunk cost. How would they explain it to friends, family, Hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And maybe that's the Celtic Irish in me, right? Like I didn't really mind. My brain's wired to solve stuff, right? Like not not judge. Communicating, talking to people, like maybe that is a strength and I, I think it is now and I've developed it over the years and I got lucky. Right. Like when I when I went to Melbourne and I met someone who saw a spark in me Mm -hmm. and saw an opportunity for his his team and his business to bring in an accountant who very strong and and had potential sales capability. It's hard to pinpoint. Did I do anything? I don't think I did, but I probably put myself in a position that the opportunity came to me, Mm -hmm. which was packing my bags in Dublin, Mm -hmm. getting on a plane and taking a risk
2: and that's for passion uh, as well that's being open to what's what's coming potentially in being passionate about what's coming i think that's a very valuable advice because i can uh, if i may share a little bit as well to me it was very similar as well i actually spent my first five years of, of my career just trying to figure out what i wanted to do it led me to sales as well so it happens but then I knew when I got into sales, I finally knew that was it that made me tick. And and this is how I knew this is, you know, that's it. That's the one.
3: That is awesome, Ramka, because what catches my attention to both of your experiences is how the ability to take risks, to leave everything that you've invested from your school days, from your growing up years and your early career, to leave all that and take a plunge into the unknown that defines certain level of character. So I think Uh, You both are a shining example of somebody who's done that and uh, successfully at that. Kevin, flipping to that moment uh, where somebody offered you uh, that role, if you were to probably share it with our audience, what advice would you give to anyone who's looking to break into tech sales, right? There are a lot of people who will get inspired for sure listening to this podcast. And if they are looking to break into the tech sales, what should people who hire for somebody from... Uh, tech sales role versus other industries. What are the nuances that you want to highlight?
0: We're actually doing quite a lot of recruitment at the moment uh-huh. in, in Singapore and Malaysia. And, you know, we're I'm, I'm currently hiring six AEs. By design of what's happening in the market, there's a lot of talent. There is a lot of talent coming to us. And when I'm talking to someone, I probably have a style in the interviews that I quickly flick between professional and, and personal questions. And I'm just trying to get them to open up, you know, like and, and really be genuine and, and be their true selves, right? Like Because then that's when you can actually start to see, okay, who's the character behind the presentation in the interview? Because it is it's like you're selling yourself, right? There's a few things that I look for, but maybe I'll just just tap on, do we hire tech sales talent only? No. I do ask it in the interviews, like what are people's desires? What are their goals? And, and one of the things, if we hire someone who doesn't come from tech, I always say to them in the interview, it's probably going to be a bit of a shock when you come into the business because generally tech companies work faster. I ask them about their ability to assimilate information, to understand that we make decisions quickly because we have the experience or we trust that it's not an immaterial decision to say it doesn't matter, but it's reversible and the material decisions like we sit and pause and ponder and think about it so like we i'm always open to meeting people who come from a different sales background because the sales is is the art right like it's the capability what you're selling you can practice and and that's what onboarding and ramp periods are for and it's actually down to the manager and or the sales enablement team to really get that person up to speed because they they possess the skills already they just have to adjust how they do it.
3: I remember in HubSpot a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to hire somebody who was who's never into tech sales. And what you look there is for the fundamentals to match, I guess. So if it's a transactional nature of tech sales, you look at somebody who's been very high on the activity, irrespective of whether they were in tech or not somebody who's there on the phone all the time, talking to customers most numbers of time, play the volume versus value game, et cetera. So you look at the fundamentals and not look at really, oh, somebody can pick up product selling of a software company. No. I think it's much easier. And I'm glad I did that because that person turned out to be probably the most successful person in my team in the last four years, a couple of promotions in just one year. So these are the stories that really, really inspire you to make those decisions as leaders as well. So I'm, I'm curious to ask Romka, uh, Romka, you've been leading Sef for yeah. Upsport uh, now and based on your experience, not just in Upsport, but in LinkedIn, what are the tips that you can share um, for folks who are from a non-tech sales background or a non-sales background altogether mm-hmm. maybe, how should they prepare themselves to apply for roles in tech sales?
2: I think first things first, I always look for two, three attributes. And people that I see first, first of those attributes is growth is growth mindset. And because I know that if a person has a really strong growth mindset, they will learn, they will want to learn. I won't have to tell them that they should, they will drive themselves towards learning. The second piece is the drive, the hunger to be successful. That's the second piece that i'm looking for as well and with that if you put it together with with growth mindset and that drive towards success you'll have somebody who not only wants to learn and and become expert in that given field but also somebody who wants to become the best whatever is the measure of success if it's sales somebody who wants to hit sales targets and the third one is grit I'm looking for grit because if you have that resilience, no matter what roadblocks are going to come in front of you, you will be able to work through them because you have that grit, you have that growth mindset, and you drive towards success. People who have growth mindset, they will prepare themselves for a sales role as well. They will come for an interview and they will be able to draw conclusions from their previous role or their their current role on how they are bridging that gap. And that's what I will be looking for as well
0: brilliant i think we're similar in how we approach these things there's there's one more that that i add and one of the things that i look for is how someone crafts their responses in terms of how they explain the situation and the reason why i do this is i'm trying to figure out if someone is a has got a also a mindset of a victim or a player
2: Mm, that's a good Um, one
0: and these are these are really important things and and sometimes bad things happen in life or the cards get dealt in a way that you, you you get unlucky right sometimes but like if you're a victim over it or you're a player mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to see yeah. naturally where your brain goes to and you know that can be difficult like if, if there's sales who are victims all the time that's going to be a rough journey and career for them but if they're a player and they understand what's going on and they see a challenge as potentially exciting like they're the ones who figure things out you know, like, you know, one of the, the things I look for is how do they triangulate and get around opportunities? You know, how do they understand the market? What's happening, mm-hmm. you know, inside the business, outside the business with the industry? I, I know when I joined Employment Hero back in March, the sales reps that we have are, are awesome. But some of them really stand out because they can tell me everything that's happening.
3: I want to move on to the next inflection point in your career journey, Kevin. When you went on to uh, being the regional sales director of Asia at zero to becoming... Zeroes Asia managing director well, This is really interesting because you went from a sales leadership role to a general management or a corporate leadership role with responsibilities beyond obviously the just sales targets that you had to handle Then We're very keen to hear from you like how were you picked for this and how did you prepare for this in the initial days. I'm, I'm very, very keen to hear when you were handed these responsibilities. Can you recall those first few days and months where like uh, just Eager to see how you transitioned it.
0: Yeah, I can de- definitely recall them because I think I, I went to work the next day saying, "Oh, what do I do different? <laughs> you know, like what what am I actually doing different?" And and maybe that I'd had actually been living and breathing doing that type of role already. The business was growing. I have a natural curiosity in any business that I join. I want to figure out the mechanics of the business and all the levers internally and how different departments work and how they communicate with each other. That's a personal interest. I knew everything that was happening inside the business. Even though I didn't have to manage the PL, I knew what was going on in the PL. Even though I didn't know much about like legal team or anything like that, I knew what was going on. And and maybe I was just drawn to that more GM MD experience because I, I wanted to understand the breadth of the business because it's personal curiosity, but it's also looking for opportunity. Right? Like what is actually happening in the business and how can we be better? That in itself might have just made me different than a classic sales director on paper in any company you want the sales directors to be like totally hyper-focused on sales and growing revenue and everything like that but there's a downside to that right like you're not teaching them about the business and you know a lot of other things that are that are happening and I think as you get more experience as a sales director or or depending on the company that you work in and the the level of transparency you do naturally learn you know more and more that's happening and marketing's the closest team that you work to. but what about all the others you know and, and are you actually interested in them? and the transition actually wasn't that difficult. you know like I, the, the sales director role that I was operating in to grow zero in the region meant that I was doing everything that I could to, to grow the brand because I quickly and like deeply understood that accounting systems is effectively a tr- is like trust is a big part of the sale. You know, like an SME is giving you their financial records. That's it. There has to be trust, right? So I was working with the accounting associations. I was going into the government. I was working with the banks. I was going to sales meetings. I was hiring people all the time. I kind of felt like I needed to do that to grow the business. Um, And that actually probably meant that I became that GM. I didn't plan it.
2: Again, you know, when we were talking about hiring as well, that was the growth mindset that you that you have shown across uh, your journey as a sales leader that made you pretty much grow into that GM slash MD role. That's the natural curiosity that uh, that led you there. And I think that's a career. That's a great career advice. Be curious. Be curious about things you're interested in. Be curious about things that you that are going to closely relate with that next career you want to get to. I think, you know, a lot of sales leaders here in in our audience will also be curious on the ways to get there, to get where you are at the moment, how to bridge that gap between the great sales leader uh, to getting chosen as a managing director. So we, we talked about curiosity being one of those things and growing growing into the role. Are there any, is there any other advice that you could share with them to help them in that journey?
0: Look, it's not that straightforward, but I think there's a common trend with, like tech companies are very well set up sales organizations and, and in most tech companies, sales directors do progress to be the, the GM or MD in a lot of cases. So if you're, if you're in a tech company, I would and you're really interested in doing it, I would start figuring out how what's the pathway to get there. If you're not in a tech company and you really want to be an MD, I think you have to assess the situation and say, okay, is this actually possible where I am right now? And if it's not, does that mean that I need to go to a different company or industry? And if it is, again, what do I need to do to get there to that level? And I'd I'd hope that like anybody at that level already sales director can have that very open, frank, clear chat with the boss, say who's maybe currently the MD and say, "Hey, do you think I could do this?" You know, an MD role is, is quite different, I would say, and it could come down to the character. You know, like it's, it's kind of that classic, um, some CEOs shouldn't be COOs and some COOs could never be a CEO. It can be down to the individual and how they operate and how they run things. And someone gave me a great analogy um, years ago that if there was a sales director and a managing director in a car, the sales director's trying to shove the accelerator down, managing director's trying to steer.
1: Before we move on to the next segment, here is a quick word from HubSpot. Is your software bill out of control? You're not the only one considering a breakup with your tech stack right now. Let me introduce you to HubSpot CRM. It's the best platform to speed up your sales and scale your business without blowing your budget. HubSpot's powerful CRM helps you to automate tedious tasks, keep track of all your deals in one place and make sure your whole team has access to the same data. Best of all, you can try before you buy. No commitment, no hidden fees, not even a credit card is needed to sign up.
3: Learn more at HubSpot.com. Kevin, I I picked up a couple of nuggets there and it's amazing. The living and breathing of that mm. role prior to being in that role was amazing. And the natural curiosity that you have to feel what those leaders go through your bosses go through, the managing directors and the CEOs go through. That's that's an amazing nugget. Now, do you see anything different in particularly in Asia? Because we have a whole lot of leaders who are not only listening to this podcast, but within our network, there are a lot of sales leaders who are aspiring to become managing directors or the CEOs. And mm. I'm very keen to hear any tips, particularly for Asia, uh, given that you have had the experience here and elsewhere.
0: I think for anybody that's listening, that is a currently a sales director or on the on the journey to be there, it's really trying to learn. How does the MD think about the business? Like, they really do think about different things, like, and and that can then give you an insight into what you need to know about the business. I don't think there's any courses out there specifically say how to move from sales director to managing director and pay this money. An individual's got to take the opportunity with their current business and ask the MD, say, what do you do like each day? Like, and can you explain to me how you think about the business and how you get to making decisions about the business and how you structure the team? And they're all really, really critical things because that is the stuff that I, I think about, right? What do I need to do the business and how do I do it?
3: Bringing us to that point where it's, it's a natural element of being able to work collaboratively Not just focus on what you're supposed to do, not your nine to five job, but invest in where you're working for a bigger picture. Because the moment you start thinking the bigger picture of your company, the vision of your company, then your horizons broaden up. You're not just a sales leader or a finance leader or an HR leader. You're now contributing to the overall goals of the company more proactively because you're curious. You are asking questions. You're working with different functions and you see some people who are good at it some are very siloed in their approach Uh, while they're very good at what they do they might not have the enthusiasm uh, to look into the broader picture i think that's where you are leaning us towards right that persona is what i think the future leaders should develop irrespective of which department they
0: come from I think you nailed it right like the persona is different like how you how you think about the business and how you actually make decisions have got to be different an example would be like I knew marketing pretty well at zero because it is a you know a phenomenal team great engine I didn't know how it was powered. And what were all the things that happened in the background? So when I when I became MD in Asia, I was like, "How does this all work? Like, well, you know, what are the fundamentals to to the team, and how does the marketing director make decisions, and why are we spending so much money, and how do we build a brand?" I always was, was comfortable with the outcome of marketing and the things that you would see, but like I needed to figure out like how it worked. You know, maybe again, may, look maybe right time and right. Right uh, job, right company. Like you know, when I came up here as sales director, I had to I had to figure that out because I was like, look, we got to make sure every team is actually firing.
2: There's a lot of things that you mentioned, uh, Kevin, that are making me very curious about one thing here in your experience in that uh, transition from a sales leader to a general manager. Were there any things that you had to? and learn some bad reflexes that you had, so to speak, amendments that you had to do either to the way you prioritize, to your mindset, the way you do things.
0: I made plenty of mistakes. I don't think we have time for for all of them. But um, I think the reflexes, right? Like I think the pace of sales can be faster than different teams. And one example that where I saw my expectations of pace and how things moved in the business, you know, probably wasn't fair right? Like on, on some of the other teams when I became MD because I had a sales team, the energy's high, stuff's getting done. You have this perpetuating like activity, right? Like all the time. We had, I had a partnerships team. like I went pretty hard on them at the start. And I think they were like, oh no, like Kev's, Kev's turned into an animal. It was, I had the wrong expectation. Like I had to rewire how I, how I thought about it. And I was kind of like, why is this taking so long? And why, like, why aren't we seeing results? Like, and you know, maybe that's a good thing as well, right? Like you're pushing people, but I actually think it was too much at one point. And I think the team were like, okay, what to expect. And they were doing a great job, but I was used to seeing and hearing so much activity in sales that I felt like there was a bit of a vacuum. Partnerships team or other teams, I was like, "Why? Where's all the energy?" Right, and I realised I'd been living with blinkers on as a sales director. You know, even even though I did always try to learn about other teams, and I, I explained that earlier. When you actually stop being a sales director and move into more of a GM, like you do have to adjust, and and that was a big thing. So I got the blinkers off, took a bit of time figure things out. It was better after that.
2: <laughs> okay, okay. I'd love to shift right now about more career advice at the end of the day. That's why we have this episode today. That this is a big topic for a lot of our audience. Uh, let's talk a little bit about those sales professionals who want to grow their career into a manager role or transition from a manager to a director's role. And uh, now with Employment Hero, hiring so much. Also, you have been on the hiring panel countless of times in your recruitment years, but also as a leader and now as, a, as an MD, what do you look for when you're hiring uh, sales professionals? And if you can maybe give us a little bit of a secret there, if you, if you can give us some examples of, of questions perhaps that you typically ask to gauge certain soft skills or tangible qualities. I don't know if
0: there's any secrets, um, mm. but I'll then. try and <laughs> like I'll, 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 I'll happily share, um, but if someone can get a nugget of, of gold... Um, you know, hiring sales professionals, right? So, you know, a lot of people come to it. We get a lot of applications saying, I'm an account executive here at this company. I hit target, like, you know, blah, 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 blah. I don't mean to diss that, right? Like, that's important. But I'm like, I'm not thinking about like, how are you going to improve the performance of our business that's outside of sales? And I think that is quite a difficult thing for some managers to understand because the priority is bringing revenue. But you're in the interview, because we believe that you can bring in revenue. The interview is to show us what else you can do. Yeah, it really is, right? Um, so, an example like some of the questions I ask people is, you know, I quickly get through the the revenue updates, you know, and I totally respect it and I hear it. And the first few minutes is is all about like performance, and then I say, okay, what what else have you done to improve the performance of the business? Like, how have you how have you helped the team or the company become world class? And I think a lot of AEs struggle with that because they could have been in a company where they were just told to focus on sales. So it's a conundrum, right? Because they've been told what to do and they've done it really well and they've been excellent. And then they come in into an interview with me and I'm asking them all these like bigger questions around what they did. And, And some people like a lot of responses I get is, oh, well, you know, I didn't really get the opportunity to do that. And then I'm like, okay were you, were you told not to do it or did you feel like the opportunity wasn't there? Because I want to hear from someone that's saying, yeah, look, actually, you know, I came up with these ideas, like I pushed things in the team. I pushed my manager. I love when people say that. Cause I'm like, okay, cause I want you to come in and push me. Um, and, and I think that's a real eye opener in terms of the conversation. And I, I mentioned earlier around how I listen intently to how people describe situations. So that's a real open, you know, what did you do in the business to improve performance of the team? And then they start explaining and giving a really good example and sharing, like I asked them, well, how did you feel when you were going through that? Like, how did you actually deal with it? What challenges did you face? Did peers in the team feel threatened or jealous or were they supportive? And how did you deal with that? Like, and you can kind of start to get down like a few layers pretty quickly. And I, I learned that style of questioning from recruitment, right? Like, cause a lot of it is just, questioning people. They're definitely key things. I think classically, I've been in a lot of interviews where it feels really structured, right? Like there's the opening and it's all very nice. And then the person, the interviewee explains what they're able to do and the interviewer exp- explains the role. And then there's a quick rap at the end to say, you know, what do you like to do outside of work? And what do you do at the weekends? And I actually think that that should be at the start because you're interviewing the individual and the person. I try and do it differently. I actually think that if you have a real like personal conversation at the start of an interview, apparently that's called building rapport, right? Like, so you're you're trying to get someone, someone to open up, right? Like, and I think when they're in that zone and they're feeling comfortable around communication, you actually see the true individual for the rest of the interview.
2: So that's interesting. Is this a rule that you would, that you would use for everybody who you hire or just managers. The reason why I'm asking for it is because I also would love to hear an advice from you and how advice from you to give to sales professionals looking to get into people management uh, roles. They are individuals contributors today, but what what should they do to prepare for that manager role?
0: It's actually quite a challenge for sales reps to become a manager because it, it's a different job. I say that to our SDRs and AEs, and there seems to be this like feeling, you know, with a lot of people that they they're an SDR for a year or eighteen months or two years, and then automatically they're an AE, and then then suddenly they're a senior AE, and then they should be made manager. It's actually rarely that linear, and it's 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 really really uh, interesting to have that conversation with someone and say, well. A sales manager generally doesn't wear their own targets in a a lot of companies. They're all about the team, right? Like building out the performance and the capability and and what the team does and where they focus. And there's definitely transferable skills. Any advice to say a salesperson trying to become a sales manager? I've been in interviews like in in, in the companies that I've worked for and it's the same. I kind of see that they'll come to me and say, well, I've overperformed. Therefore, I should be the best person to be considered for the role and and i kind of say well we're not going to talk about that your your numbers performance because guess what i know it already tell me like why you want to be a manager and i'm always very curious about our teams to see who's who's actually operating like a manager before they're a manager and you know maybe not a manager but a leader like who's who's taking responsibility and initiative and is able to create positive momentum in the team and is able to understand where the team are maybe having a bit of a tough week or a tough day and they know how to pump the brakes a little bit and create create kind of downtime for the team and i can spot that pretty easily now you know like and i'm already thinking of people actually in my team that i can i can see them doing it right i really think like they should not believe that because you hit your numbers and you deliver that you're the best person to be a manager you have to understand the skills of a leader and I'd actually encourage people to focus on that, developing that on top of delivering, right? Like, Because that's then actually, you know, you're building out your skill set, you're getting stronger, um, you're delivering more to the team and the business, and then they're in the, the best place. Yeah.
2: Thanks for that. I'm also curious to hear from Adi. Adi, I know that you've done that many times in your career, you, you promoted many people in, into a manager role so can you tell us a little bit more then how how do you do it what should how should sales professionals actively plan for this trajectory yeah, in their career i think
3: more, most of the nuggets were there with kevin when he was explaining how people behave uh, it's not what you do in individual contributor role because the kpis for an ic versus a kpis for a people manager really really differ from each other it's very Hard sometimes to explain to somebody who's probably a peak club, multiple times accelerator, top of the quota achiever, but a very, very individual contributor. But when you put that person who has very little people management skills, you're going to do a disservice not just for the person or the team, but for everybody else concerned. So it's very important to spot the attributes that make a people leader really, really come out shining with his or her team because I always see if somebody is a a person who takes all the accolades and then has various reasons to blame when things go down, now that's not an attribute that I would love. I would rather have somebody who is a sponge, who can take the pressure, who can take the stress, find solutions for the problems that come across without really stressing more on the infrastructure already. So things like that, you've got to let people blossom under you. those are the attributes that are sometimes visible by some leaders or sales professionals in their current role itself you see them very proactive like kevin said you will spot them easily yeah you don't want people to tell you what you already know and i love that uh, when kevin said numbers are visible to us we know what it is but couple of things if i were to really really nail it down to aspiring sales individual performers who want to be people manager is the proactiveness in picking up projects that help the bigger picture number one if you're not doing anything that is outside your role Mm -hmm. that really helps your team your company to really achieve something drive efficiencies if you are not envisioning those projects then i'm a little skeptical on the abilities for you to manage a broader role later on the second one is how you deal with people there is no right or wrong in the way everybody deals with people. It takes all kinds of us to make this world beautiful, but there are some who are cut out for a role like this where they inspire people. They inspire people at various stages to collectively come together as one ship uh, full of winners. It's very hard because you don't know which button to press to whom because you got to know the weaknesses and the strengths of everybody. And every one of us is a different persona. So the leader has to have that patience, the willingness, ability to see it from 10,000 feet above, but also roll the sleeves up when it needs, but always give accolades to the team members and take the blames first on the uh, battlefront.
2: Thank you so much for that. And uh, we actually had an opportunity to ask our audience questions this time round. There is a couple of questions that, uh, that have been already answered actually by Kevin during this episode. There's one more I want to ask. What we haven't covered really is how can people switch a career Uh, into tech sales career so let's say we've got somebody in the background with a background in HR and they want to venture into tech sales how can they do it what are the top two three things you would advise them
0: I think getting into tech sales if you're in if you're in sales already Mm -hmm. is really trying to figure out like where the alignment is with your your knowledge and, and what you want to do for example like I really think about my own experience right like I moved into tech sales selling accounting software because I knew I know I know accounting, and not everybody like has that opportunity. But there's a lot of people who have specific industry skills that they could maybe apply, you know, and move into, into tech sales. And another example could be, say, somebody in HR, right? Like, and they actually want to move more into a tech company or tech sales. They know HR inside out. If they were interested to work for, say, Employment Hero, our customers, the HR leaders, I would definitely talk to them, but. I don't know if they would get a job in a cybersecurity mm-hmm. sales role. Right. So it's really leveraging what you what you know already.
2: Now we are coming to that part of our show where we ask our guests to look into their crystal balls and predict the future. <laughs> are you ready for it? <laughs> what is your forecast for how sales in Asia will evolve over the next 5, 10 years and what will be that number one thing that you think will change?
0: I think that the I think the art of sales will actually never change. I think the way that people communicate, especially in a, a face-to-face environment, like that, that can't be digitized, you know, like it's, it's, it's a conversation, you know, like in that merry dance around negotiations and, and everything. Like, I don't think that will change. What I, what I do think will change. Um, and I don't know if we need a crystal ball for this is how sales like is operationalized and the tools that people use and like, even the tools that we have at employment here on now, like I'm kind of like, oh no, why Why didn't we have that like five years ago at zero? And, you know, I didn't even realize some of this stuff was actually available. You know, AI, big topic, right? Like, you know, lots of hype around it, but we're already using it like in, in sales and Trying to figure out ways to actually leverage like all these tools, so I, I do think any sales professional today needs to be actually figuring out how to disrupt their own job with, with AI. Not for the purposes of obviously putting themselves out of a job, but for the purpose of actually figuring out how to be, you know, continually uh, build and be a high performer in the team. Because that's that is the definition of it. Like, how can you actually deliver more to the business? And we we actually have an open mandate across all 1,000 staff and employment hero to use whatever AI tools are available to actually be better at your job.
3: Kevin, thank you so much. For all our viewers who are sales professionals aspiring to be sales managers and sales directors one day, for those in the audience who are sales directors and leaders in their own industries who want to become the general managers and the managing directors, this probably was one of the podcasts that none of them will miss. And because of the nuggets that you've given us, just to summarize, I felt the things that we would all take away is to be aware, to be able to take risks. When opportunities do come at you, you are ready to pack that bag, take the dog, take that flight to Singapore, right? We really love that. And, and I think you also narrated how to be conscious of what you are good at. And not just focus on what you're supposed to do, your current role, but to think bigger and to look beyond and to think like your boss maybe and figure out what is that that keeps them busy that you can really be proactively participate in it. So that that's an amazing thing. I love the way you said uh, both you and Ramka for that matter about the growth mindset and what does it take to really fit into a transitional journey from one industry to the tech industry to be specific in Asia. Loved it, loved the natural curiosity of it, the point of living and breathing a role before you get the role. It was amazing. And lastly, I think as times change, technology changes, almost all cross departmental functions, the way they operate are changing. So if you want to be a leader, a managing director, you need to be on top of what's changing, what's the better way to do, the more efficient way to do, while you're always focusing on a very collaborative leadership to get the vision of your company and the goals and the SLAs and the KPIs of your company. You mentioned about AI being the talk of the town now. It's it's being used in all products, all functions, all, all narratives are about that. So as a leader, you need to gravitate towards that and really be on top of it because as an general manager or a leader or a managing director you're looking at efficiencies in everything that you're doing so that you are aligned with the bigger picture the longer visions amazing uh session kevin me and Ramka thoroughly enjoyed it thank you so much for taking time
2: thank you so much Brilliant. kevin i love loved the golden nuggets of advice and, and mm. best practices uh, i'm sure our listeners are are going to appreciate that as well so thank you for being with us here today
0: Thanks for having me. Re- really, really enjoyed it. And and even some of the nuggets I kind of remembered again, I've got to go back and actually make sure I'm actually using them
2: myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you bye so bye. much. Thank you. Thanks for
1: tuning into UpSpot's Asia Growth Forecast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you are listening to this show. Ah, one more thing. If you found the discussion valuable, share it with at least one more person who you think would enjoy listening to it. That's it for this episode and we will see you real soon.